Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I'm Sean Chapman. And we're here to talk about Doctor Who. Again! Yes! And we are coming to you on a Monday, so happy Labor Day. But we're actually talking to you from a much more special holiday, in our opinion, and that is Doctor Who Premiere Day. Yes, which tends not to be the same day every every year. Right. Or sometimes there isn't even a Doctor Who Premiere Day here. But right. But no matter when it comes, it unites us. Yes. It unites, unites all us Doctor Who fans together. Yes. So, we have just watched the episode Asylum of the Daleks, the first episode of Series 7 of Doctor Who, aired simultaneously, well, not simultaneously, but the same day on BBC One and BBC America, so everybody got it. Well, everyone who matters. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about the episode. It's by, you know, by the time you'll have heard this, I'm sure everyone who wants to see the episode will have seen it. And, you know, normally we release our podcasts on a Wednesday. We're going to move that up, at least for the next five weeks, when Doctor Who is airing, because we want to talk about each episode in at least some detail, and we may as well do it sooner to the premiere dates rather than later, so when it's fresh in everyone's minds. And so these will probably be coming out Mondays. They may come out Tuesdays, but we're thinking Mondays for the foreseeable future. Yes, so be on the lookout. Yep. And we are going to talk about, you know, some other just, you know, general podcast things later in the episode, probably. Uh, little news tidbits and stuff. There's some Hobbit news I want to talk about. But for now, we're just going to jump right into our discussion of the episode while it's fresh in our minds. Right in. Yep. So who knows how long this will be. It's a... Doctor who knows how long this will be. Ha <laughs> <laughs> As long as we're making puns based on yeah. the name of the show? Yeah. Anyway. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Big, great episodes. So let's just dive right in. Asylum of the Daleks. Sean, what did you think? I thought it was a pretty good episode, uh, especially for, like, the Dalek episodes. Recently, they have not been the best, and I think this is one of the better Dalek episodes that have come out in New Who. I think it had a few problems, but overall, I'm very positive on this episode, and I thought it was a good start to the season. Absolutely. I think, you know, Stephen Moffat likes to do this. He bites off a lot, and in every episode, he just fills his episodes with lots of content, he tackles a lot of material, and sometimes that can do him ill, like in the season 6 yeah, finale. definitely. But when he's on, and he was definitely on for this episode, it's it's a, one of his greatest talents, I think. Mm-hmm. And Asylum of the Daleks definitely tackle a lot, where he has to, he's introducing a brand new character, he's introducing sort of a new status quo for the pawns, he's got some new stuff going on with the Doctor, some new mythology for the Daleks, and on top of all that, they're just telling a big, sort of good, standalone Doctor Who adventure. And I, I think it really worked, and, you know, Moffat has talked about, and we talked about this on our Season 7 preview last week, that he wants Season 7 to be more of a blockbuster season, where instead of worrying about sort of overarching continuity, each episode can be its own sort of standalone adventure, and just have a lot of big ideas and have fun with itself, and I think Asylum of the Daleks indicates that that's a good direction to go in. I think it's been a while since we've had a Doctor Who episode that wasn't sort of burdened with some of the story arcs, Mm -hmm. and so to have this one just be sort of free of all that, and just focus on the characters and the adventure worked wonders. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I know, I agree. And I, it, honestly, it's kind of the lower parts of the episode to me were the stuff that I was kind of trying to call back to some, like, the overarching themes of, like, definitely the end of season six. That stuff kind of bugged me, but when the when it was just trying to tell a Dalek story, I think that worked well. Yeah, totally. So, where do you want to take this? We, uh, we've got lots to talk about. Yes. Um, do you want to talk about sort of the characters first, the story first? Where do you want to go? I think we should start at the beginning. All right. Well, this episode definitely had an eventful beginning. It was a pretty bonkers pre-credit sequence, but I yeah. really it was liked really it. Really long, like I, I know. Uh, I thought for a second, it's like, did I come into the? Did I miss the part where they start doing the opening titles? Like the, the fucking like the teaser part of the episode was like five minutes long, right? But I really liked it. I mean, you've got you know the big scene on Scarrow, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. And you've then got sort of a new status quo with the pawns, and you've got Amy doing her modeling, and Rory serving her the divorce papers, and lots of fans, I'm sure, were just crying their eyes out at all that. And then you have all of them getting kidnapped by these creepy, like, human Dalek machines with, like, the grossest sound effects they yeah. could possibly find. And then they're all at the big parliament of the Daleks, which is one with of the more... the prime minister of the Daleks. Which is one of the more cinematic things they've ever done. That was cool. Yeah, they, they were working out the new tax code of the Daleks. <laughs> I want to see that episode, the tax code of the Daleks, where they're really out of ideas. We need to cut back on military spending and work on schools. No, we need to cut taxes for job creators. <laughs> if you have a business, you did not build that. 
Daleks. Like, I just thought that was amazing that it's like, I've, I would not have thought that the Daleks, their form of government, would be the same as Britain's. Like, I just would not have gone, like, I wonder if there's, like, this sort of, like, constitutional Dalek queen that really doesn't do much, there's just sort of a hanger-on of old governmental forms. You gotta like, wonder, is, is, does that mean Stephen Moffat just has some deep-seated hatred of British Parliament? That yeah, he's comparing them to Daleks? Because because the Daleks were a metaphor for Nazi Germany originally, so it's like all of a sudden they have this parliament and a prime minister, and it's like they're supposed to be fascists and have like dictators and stuff. Well, but you know, it's been fifty years in TV time. How many you know years in in real time for the show? Well, yeah, I mean, so they've, they've developed. They've gotten government. I mean, where where all this stuff fits place in like Dalek continuity is just it 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 kills my mind. It's my, too hard to keep... A up horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. Sign this Magna Carta. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how far has Dalek, like, governmental stuff advanced? You know, have they had, like, a communist Dalek state at this point and, like, realized that's not the direction to go in? Yeah. Like, when do they have the Dalek democracies, like, start popping up after Dalek revolutions? <laughs> All right, so... Talk a little bit about Dalek continuity, Sean, because you have things to say. Yeah, so it's Dalek, especially with like the new series, the, keeping up with Dalek continuity is really, really hard because they have the time travel stuff, and they've had the time travel stuff for a really long time. And so you're like, is this pre-time travel Dalek stuff? Is this post-time travel Dalek stuff? Do the Daleks know about the Doctor? Do the Daleks know about this Doctor? It's like, do the... the like, is Davros leading the Daleks? Are the Daleks trying to kill Davros? How many factions of Daleks are going on right now? It's really, really confusing. And then New Who made it even worse because they brought in the Time War and the Time Lock, which kind of... And they've always been really vague on how that Time Lock stuff really works with, like, how that continuity of stuff... So it does not of, work well. Yeah, so my impression has always been that basically the entire Dalek race and the entire Time Lord race were kind of, like, locked out of time and, like, in their own little bubble in, like, this moment in time. And it's like they don't can't interact with the rest of the universe. And that's why in, like, every single Russell T. Davis Dalek story, they have to spend, like, ten minutes explaining where this form of Dalek comes from. That's why they were usually two-parters. The first part was yeah. always, like, how the Daleks get yeah, here. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, how, where did these Daleks come from? I mean, that's what, like, the victory of the Daleks from Season 5, that's, like, that kind of was trying to explain, okay, now we have these Daleks, and these are the Stephen Moffat Daleks, and they do pop up in this episode. Like, you see those models, but they're not, like, featured particularly prominently, and they've got a lot of, like, what look like, basically, the Russell T. Davis era Dalek props. Well, I should say something about that, a production note. Um, they incorporated in this episode every Dalek from every era of the series. Well, I did kind of spot there were a right. few, especially like the like kind of like broken down ones. A lot of them yeah. look like older Daleks. So they were going around getting props for all these eras. They were finding people who used to work on the show. I know Russell T. Davies owns a Dalek prop, and he was happy to sort of give it to them for this episode. And, and so then they blew it up, probably. <laughs> But, anyway, so go on. I, I, anything else to say about Dalek continuity? I mean, yeah, then there's, there's the whole issue with Scaro, where the Doctor blew up... Like, in the Seventh Doctor story, I think it's Remembrance of the Daleks, the Doctor blows up Scaro in, like, 1963. God, that's the Doctor like, hates the Daleks. Yeah. He blows them up. I mean, he's... That's why, that's why he... Well, okay, he was called the Destroyer of Worlds, and then they started calling him the Oncoming Storm which the Daleks never used to, and then and then the I think Davros called them Destroyer of Worlds again. It's like, and now the Doctor has another nickname, Predator, which he didn't know about before, so the Doctor's got a whole bunch of nicknames now. So that's another thing. It's like, do these Daleks know about the Doctor being called the Oncoming Storm or the Destroyer of Worlds before? Because Scarrow's still here in this timeline. So it's like, so I guess the Doctor hasn't blown up Scarrow, and Scarrow's not time-locked, because that's their home world. So, or they rebuilt Scarrow and the Doctor forgot about blowing it up? Yeah, I just like, I don't know. That's like, that's, I mean, I can kind of forgive it because Doctor Who continuity is going to be completely fucked either way. But well, it's, 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 it's still of, just sort of like raises for me a lot of questions, especially bringing back Scarrow is just kind of, that's, that, to me, that's a really big deal. But, and it's just kind of like, okay, they're on Scarrow. And apparently the Doctor was really surprised about the state of Scarrow, which I find hilarious because every single time he's been on Scarrow, it's either like in a massive civil war between the two dominant races or like the entire thing has been cloaked in radiation and like the woods are like flash frozen and petrified. It's just like, it's always been this just destroyed, deserted hellhole of a planet. Yep. And he was like, look at the state it's in. It's like, yeah, that's looks about the same as the last time you were here. They just built a giant Dalek statue there, too. Yeah. No, I, I liked their design of Scarrow for the episode, though. It was kind of cool. 
um, definitely using their butt. I mean, it's it's a long way from the William Hartnell Dalek story. <laughs> I don't know. I I love I love yeah. the William Hartnell Dalek story. I'm just saying. I don't know. They had like the mech paintings and stuff. I always thought worked well. Oh, they worked very well. They were good. But uh, I mean, you can't. It is hard to blame the episode for sort of messing with Dalek continuity because there's been 50 years of these Dalek yeah. stories now. There's there were there were obviously continuity issues long before the series was revived. <laughs> there's continuity issues by like the second or third episode in Doctor Who. So yeah, it's it's all good. Um, so that's the Daleks. I guess we should keep on with sort of the main story. I thought this was a really interesting setup where you have the Daleks coming to the Doctor, seemingly to sort of ask him to do this, but then they're just going to fucking force him to do it because they're the Daleks. <laughs> they're going to shoot you know. him at the planet. Yeah. So they, there is basically a Dalek Asylum, which is sort of an interesting concept in and of itself, where they've put all their most insane and broken Daleks, and the force field has been shattered by a character who's obviously very important, and we'll get to her later, and they need the Doctor to go there and remove the force field so they can blow the shit out of it and get rid of the Daleks. And I thought the whole setup of this in the Parliament was just fascinating, especially because how well Matt Smith played that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't really seen him play opposite Daleks all that much. Yeah, we've only had Victory of the Daleks really for yeah. like the whole episode. And there's there's not a whole lot of him acting opposite Daleks in it. Yeah, there's just like the one big scene with like the yeah. Jimmy Doctor. And, and I think, he, you know, back then, I mean, he was really just sort of playing how David Tennant would have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were still sort of going off of that rapport he had with the Daleks, which was very, you know, David Tennant hated the fuck out of them. Yeah. And this time the Doctor, he's a little more, he's very interested in just lording over his sort of supremacy over them. Yeah. And just, you know, he's like, you know, fuck it, you guys aren't going to do anything to me. I know that. <laughs> We've been doing this long enough. And I, I love that sort of dynamic. And there were just some very entertaining scenes there at the beginning. And once they got shot down there, I think there were a lot of really good sort of tense action scenes. The one criticism I will say, though, is that they set up the concept of the asylum so well that when they get there, I think it's a little underwhelming. Yeah, the, the, I was thinking that, too, and I'm really confused. Like, the whole asylum thing was just kind of confusing to me as the more and more they got into it, because they set it up as being, like, the Daleks themselves are afraid of the Daleks on the asylum, because they're supposed to be completely, like, batshit insane, and that's why they don't... That's why they put them there. They don't want to kill them because it's Dalek law or whatever. That was also kind of was confusing to me. It's that that I don't think the Daleks would do that, but whatever. And so, and so, but it's like just yeah. Once he gets down on the planet, there's like these Daleks, a dozen or so Daleks, and they're just completely rusted. They're like some of them don't even have their weapons. It's like they're completely ineffectual. But, I mean, there's nothing, there was nothing special about the Daleks on the asylum. Right, and there were dangerous ones, but they were no more dangerous than Daleks. Yeah, they were, just, they were just Daleks. Like, yeah. there was nothing different about the Daleks on the asylum that, and other I, than they were rusted. And I guess you could say that what they do to General Louise Colesman's character would uh, would be would qualify as insanity, but I can see regular Daleks but, doing that. Well, because that was one of the things that really confused me. I mean, it's, if you haven't seen the episode, it's like, stop right here, because we're going to go into super spoilers right now. Yeah. It's like, so definitely, if you haven't seen it, you need to stop and watch the episode and then come back. But yeah, the, the com- companion character, what's the name of the actress? Uh, uh, General Louise Colesman. I'm going to look up the character's name right okay. now. It, it's Oswin or whatever, but yeah, General yeah. Louise Colesman, her character... Is you you're led to believe that she's a human who has crash landed on the ship and they're going to go down and that's like they're afraid. I guess the Daleks want to, uh, to blow up the planet because they're afraid that the asylum Daleks are going to get off the planet using the ship. I was kind of confused by that too. And she's actually been turned into a Dalek. She's been fully converted into a Dalek. It's not like the other ones that are like slaves. And I thought that was interesting because the sixth Doctor story that I actually had you watch, Revelation of the right. Daleks, deals with Daleks trying to turn human beings into other Daleks, and that was because they had, like, a Dalek civil war, and they were trying to get more troops. So I thought it was, even though they didn't make any direct references to that episode, and I don't know if, I don't know if Stephen Moffat particularly remembers that episode, but that episode deals with that completely. And so I thought it was interesting that they were going back to that concept of having a human, like, successfully turned into a Dalek, but it didn't make any freaking sense to me why the Asylum Daleks would turn her into a Dalek. It's like because the way the doctor, the way the doctor basically said it was that you know the Daleks need genius, but the Asylum Daleks didn't need genius. Like the Daleks out fighting Dalek war and doing Dalek stuff need genius. So it didn't make any sense to me why the Asylum ones would all yeah. of a sudden be like, let's turn this person into a Dalek. 
Well, I can see if they're if if they are maybe that is why they're a threat to get off the planet. If they they are aware enough that they know they need a genius to help them achieve this goal. I mean, maybe, but it's like you have to. This is kind of the problem with that part of the episode is that you have to really speculate about like what is actually going on there. And I think the episode should okay. be a little bit more clear about that because it just I, I as agree. it goes on, it just gets more vague about that kind of stuff. I get that the way you're saying there, and I guess it, I didn't think about it in the moment. I definitely thought about it after when I was writing my review for We Got Discovered, but. In the moment, I just like I was so taken aback by that, and I thought that was such a powerful scene overall um, that I didn't think about the logic of it. But I think you're correct. I think there are inconsistencies there, mm-hmm. and I think the whole asylum concept probably wasn't used as well as it could be. But I have trouble complaining about it because I liked all the scenes on the asylum. Like, yeah, like I those think, were good Dalek fight scenes and things. Yeah, I thought all like yeah, I, I agree. I thought the actual like content of the episode was really tense, but it's like kind of the stuff that they set up didn't really pan out the way it needed to, and there are some there are some inconsistencies, but it's not a huge deal to me. No. So, let's back up here. Um, we, we've sort of talked, we, we've touched on different parts of the story of the episode. We'll get into that later, because I think to talk about sort of the end game and how it develops, you do have to talk about Oswin, and I think she needs to be a topic unto herself, obviously. Mm-hmm. So let's go back and talk about Amy and Rory. In the beginning of the episode, they are established as being divorced. Or about to get divorced. About to get divorced, yeah. And so... That's sort of a big deal. Yeah, because, they, I mean, because I, I watched the BBC release, like, this, like, really short, like, five-minute miniseries thing called Pond, Pond Life. Those were watched, cute. They were yeah, fun. I thought they were mostly funny, and then it, like, ends with them. <laughs> the bipolar episode? Yeah, it was like, where it's like, oh, this is, all these are really, really funny, and then, oh, okay, I guess they're, the Amy and Rory are breaking up now. And then, so I was, I kind of knew that that was kind of going to be the status quo, but I, I still thought it was... A little bit strange, and I don't entirely buy the explanation for it. But I thought it was a little bit strange that they would give that they would be broken up because because of all the shit that they've already been through together. Yeah, and I can I actually wrote there was a I had cut down this section of my review a lot because I it ultimately I thought it was sort of insignificant to the episode itself because they go in a they go in a very literal direction where they explain what it was that broke them up. But I can actually I, I can buy a scenario where they're broken up where they've been away from the Doctor long enough because they had never had that relationship outside of the TARDIS, really. They got married and then went off and had adventures with the mm-hmm. Doctor. And, I mean, obviously they had, you know, known each other their whole lives, I guess, but that's different than, like, being married as adults and having jobs and trying yeah. to make all that work. And I can see how there's always been this push and pull between their personalities, and that's what makes them a great couple is that they complement each other. She's very fiery and erratic. Rory is is very sort of consistent, but also he doesn't really stand up for himself. And I can see how in a vacuum, without sort of this all these life threatening incidents reminding them of how much they love each other, that they could have commun- their communication issues they already have on the TARDIS could inflate to a degree where they have trouble staying together. I can I can buy that, um, and I can also buy the explanation they give. I do agree, Sean, with what you and I were talking about earlier before we recorded this podcast, though that to do it all in one episode feels like a tad bit rushed. Yeah, and especially also like, because it's like the, you have the main plot of the episode concerning the asylum, and then they also have like just this very prominent subplot of Amy and Rory's relationship and the Doctor trying to like fix it. But what's just kind of strange is that generally in, like, in, an episode, in a show like this, you would have the main plot and that sort of prominent character subplot there would be some sort of, like, thematic or, like, metaphorical ties between the two of them, and I did not see any in this episode at all. Like, it was just, they kind of, like, both were these plots kind of running, and I was just kind of expecting, it's like, you know, the resolution's going to be, they kind of have something to do with each other, and it kind of, at least as far as I could see, it really didn't. So it's not, like, a terrible thing about the episode, but it's, like, something that you kind of expect, and it would add some significance to the subplot that... Right. ...that's not there. Yeah. And, I mean, I can kind of see that Stephen Moffat might lose sight of that because the other prominent subplot with Oswin is completely tied into the Dalek thing. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you would lose sight of that. But I agree, there probably could have been a greater thematic push there. That being said, I did... One of my favorite, favorite scenes in the episode is when they hash out their issues and that we finally get acknowledgement that the shit that happened at Demon's Run has scarred Amy Pond yeah. because that bothered me intensely in the second half of Series 6, that we spend seven episodes in the first half of Series 6 building up to this horrible thing that happens to Amy. I mean, if you actually think of the whole, like, 
the thing that happens, she is pregnant, A, she's kidnapped, B, she's pregnant without knowing it, C, she has to deliver her child in, like, the most stressful circumstances imaginable, her child is immediately kidnapped from her, and then she never, she and Rory never get to know their kid. Yeah. Like, yes, it's River, then they know her later, and they know she's going to be okay, that doesn't solve anything, they had a baby and never got to know it, like, that's awful, and as we know now, she can't have kids because of it, which I actually also always kind of suspected that, yeah. given what they did to her, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how that would work. So, like, I'm really glad that this episode finally went back and said, yes, Amy Pond, you are fucked up because of this, and, and Rory still has some issues from that, too. So, like, Yeah, it's like, and then for me, I'm also completely like that, but I was thinking more of the uh, Rory being the centurion for 2,000 years, and that has just been shoved into, like, they've had, like, two or three references about it since, like, season six, and it's like, that's always bugged me about Rory's character, that it's like, it seems like that should be a much bigger deal than it is, and then Rory finally pulls out that card, and he immediately gets shit on for pulling out that card. It's just, that really, that really kind of bugged me, because it's like, which one do you think about it? It's like, 2,000 fucking years! That's, like, all of, like, modern human history. It's like, he was there when fucking Jesus got crucified. That's how long he's, he was waiting. Yes. Like, that's completely fucking ridiculous. And, I mean, I've always liked that it was a character trait with Rory, that he is so intensely humble he wouldn't overplay that. But uh, you're right. I mean, they had to acknowledge it at some point. Mm-hmm. I think they acknowledged it well here, but as, as you say, he kind of gets shit on because I think Amy has a valid point, but the scene probably needed to go on a little longer and have them say, like, you know, yes, you gave me up, I get that's hard, but it hurt me too. And she's like, well, maybe I'm not communicating well. And he could be like, yes. I'm not communicating well either. And they're like, well, we should communicate better. And they're like, I love you, okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's like three more lines. What just kind of bugged me about that whole, the whole scene where they make up is that Amy was clearly the way she was being completely selfish the entire time and did not communicate to Rory at all. But then the, the way the scene is written is that you're supposed to be on Amy's side because Rory said that he loves her more than she loves him. And I get it. That, oh, that's I, a shitty thing to say in a relationship. I totally get that. But I was not on Amy's side. I actually, I actually disagree. I think you are meant to go into that on Rory's side because we're all thinking that, and we always have been. I mean, if you remember why Rory was taken onto the TARDIS was because Amy wanted to have sex with the Doctor, and the Doctor was like... Well, completely, first, the Doctor's you know, asexual yeah. towards her. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to do that. But he's also thinking... You need to be reminded of how much you love Rory, and so he brings Rory on, and that's what kickstarts this whole thing. So, I mean, we've always had the relationship framed that way, in that Amy doesn't value Rory as well as she should, especially when we do the Centurion thing, and he's basically the greatest boyfriend in the history of fiction. Right? I mean, can we say that? Yeah. Yeah, Waiting 2,000 years, like, that's, like I said, that's 2,000 fucking years. And of course how they do it in that episode, which is brilliant, but it's sort of funny, is it's like, I think the opening credits and then we're back and it's been 2,000 years. Yeah. You get like a little slideshow and it's like, yeah. oh, holy shit. I wonder like, so was he just like completely celibate during that time? Yeah, that's like, that's what it is. Like, if he did not cheat on her for 2,000, 2,000 fucking years, that's ridiculous. He's a great, great person. Yeah. He's probably the greatest hero of all time. And he just, he's completely unappreciated. Yeah, well, oh well. Maybe, maybe there'll be an episode about it in these last four with them. Yeah, maybe. Where she, like, I don't know, gets him a Hallmark card. Like, you waited 2,000 years. Thank you. Yes, like, maybe Rory's just gonna be like, I waited 2,000 fucking years for this bullshit where you just constantly push me away. It's like, fuck it, I'm done. (laughs) Fuck it. Fuck it, and he just leaves. Like, that's kind of how I want their relationship to end at this point of this episode. Where it's just like, Rory's just like... Hey, Oswin, like, Oswin, she sounds kind of cute. Can I go talk to her? Yeah, it's just like, for fuck's sake, Rory, just like, this relationship is really fucking dysfunctional at this point. Just just, just leave. Well, anyway, they've, they've got four more episodes to do with these characters, and I, I honestly do think... I don't think their issues are completely resolved by the end of yeah. the episode. I think these last four, they would not kickstart all these themes if they weren't going to address them. And I, I actually think after seeing this episode, because they started on kind of a down note, I think they're going to get a happy ending. And I think sort of the, the thrust of it is that they're just going to have to separate themselves from the Doctor for good if they want a chance at, at knowing each other, you know, well. So that could be an interesting arc to have. But any more to say about Amy and Rory? And it's just like, Rory, it's like you deserve way more, man. I just know. like... I want to see the spin-off with Arthur Darvill about the 2,000 years. That yeah, would probably be a good show. That, I mean, yeah, or like at least like a good miniseries or something. Right. 
No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, that, that part of Doctor Who has always kind of bugged me how little it comes up because you expect it to be hugely important to Rory's, like, to what right. Rory always does. Well, I guess they've sort of made it ambiguous how much he remembers it. Yeah. he was an auton at the time. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's why he was celebrating. Thing, maybe the autons did, do not are not anatomically correct. Maybe they're like Ken dolls. Yeah, I mean, dude. Well, I mean, but that mannequins. would be sadder. They're mannequins, so okay. I, I would. I, most mannequins do not have penises. So. This is true. <laughs> At least not fully functioning ones. Doctor Who and mannequin penises. Yes, <laughs> if you want to get into the details of Doctor Who monsters, you can. You can if you want. Anyway, last last thing to say about Arthur Darville and or, or about Amy and Rory is I just think Arthur Darville and Karen Gillan are, are doing great. I really love mm-hmm. seeing them yeah. again. I, I think they know these characters so damn well at this point. They can just play these moments really, really strong. Like you can, you know, you can buy a moment like Amy Pond doing modeling and, and stuff yeah. like that. It just feels consistent. Or her having the good line about you know, scared. Who's scared? I can believe that at this point in her relationship with the doctor, that's not going to face yeah. her. Yeah, she she doesn't give a shit at this point. She's faced much more certain death. Yeah, although like one thing that I thought was kind of strange, since I know that the they're going to be the companions for the next few episodes, is that the episode ends with him bringing them back to London and they like go to their house. It's like. Ah, uh, fuck, now we need, like, five minutes at the beginning of the next episode to have them come back on the TARDIS. Yeah. It's like... We shall see. Yes. So, we shall see? Yes, you already said that. I know. Do you want to move on to the next next section? What's the next section going to be? The what next section is going to be Oswin. Okay. The, the star-supporting character. Yes. So we should first say, Oswin is Jenna Louise Colesman, and if you've been reading any amount of Doctor Who news, I mean, you could be trying to avoid spoilers. Doctor Who's. And you would have heard this. Jenna Louise Colesman has been cast as the next companion in Doctor Who. She will be joining Matt Smith as the you know other main cast member after Amy and Rory leave. And Stephen Moffat and other people have said on a couple of occasions that she would be joining the cast in the Christmas special you know, on December 25th. And they were lying to you because they wanted to keep the spoiler under wraps that she would actually be appearing in this episode. And how on earth in the year 2012 did they keep that a secret all this time? That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. I have no fucking clue. Yeah. And I mean, we were talking about this. Sean said, you know, he's been avoiding spoilers. Yeah. So he thought maybe it had gotten out possibly before. But I I have, I've been reporting on Doctor Who News professionally and everything, and it, it has not at all. And, you know, Stephen Moffat tweeted tonight, he said... You know, thank you all the bloggers and journalists we showed the episode to for not being dicks and spoiling it for us. But, I mean, that's a big revelation, especially because it's not like she just cameos. She's a main yeah, part of the episode. Yeah, she's the other main character in the episode besides the Doctor. Yeah. Like, she has a more prominent role in the episode than Amy and Rory. Right. And, you know, we can speculate a little later on on whether Oswin will be like she is here when she comes back in December. But for now, I do want to put this out there, Sean. We've been talking a lot lately, not just on the last podcast, but in recent years, that we would like a companion in the future who is not just another contemporary British person. Yes. And Oswin is very much not just a contemporary British person. And I just... She's a future British person. (laughs) Yes. Well, everyone on Doctor Who is a British person. But... Even the people who aren't British are British. Pretty much. Yeah. So... Nixon was British. (laughs) I love British Nixon. (laughs) Anyway... So, British Nixon should be a spinoff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Everything should be a spinoff on Doctor Who. You, you could do it. I'm still surprised there have only ever been two. Well, there was the K-9 animated series, I guess, so three. <laughs> the Sarah Jane-like K-9 show. It's awesome. Any Doctor Who fan, they owe it to themselves to watch the Sarah Jane adventure with K-9. That's, okay. It's, it's incredible. All right. It's well, got the great, it's got the best opening theme, like 80s opening theme for anything ever. It's anyway. amazing. Okay. I will definitely... Well, I've never seen that show. Anyway, back to... We were talking about Oswin. I really, really liked her introduction scene because it just seemed like a checklist of all the things I kind of wanted to see from a new character like that. Where Soufflés? Yes, I really wanted to see someone who makes soufflés. No, but just that it was a different dynamic and that she is, you know, sort of... Uh, again, she's from space. She's more knowledgeable about the universe. She's, she's from space? How, how is one from space? God damn it, Sean. <laughs> this is just kind of a, this is a stupid thing to say. You talk about Oswin. Fine. No, you can. Oswin, she's from space. Okay. You know, I, that's where that's her place of birth. That's what she fills out on forms. It's like, where are you from? I'm from space. We don't know where she's from right now, Sean, so what am I supposed she's to say? She's sure she is not from space, okay? okay? You can just gloss over the fact that we don't know where she's from. Okay. It's not space, though. Nobody's right. from space. That's fine. 
Anyway, I I thought Jenna Louise Colesman was pretty instantly appealing in this part. She just very much sort of commanded the screen when she was on. Uh, I, I really sort of liked her interpretation of the character and how well she handled Moffat banter. Like, you could definitely tell this was someone who was cast because they can just, like Matt Smith, take mountains of dialogue and spit it out and make yeah. it really appealing. And then, you know, so I liked her opening scene and just sort of that contrast where she's got Daleks knocking down her door and she can be cheery and happy about it. I really like that. I think that's a cool idea. And then the more we get to see of her and the more she gets to interact with Matt Smith, and that's only through, obviously, communication dialogue. They're not actually on screen together, in human form at least. Uh, just really good banter. Like I, We'll have to see more of the actress and what the character is actually going to turn out to be. But I think initially, I really like how she and Matt Smith work off each other. Yeah, no, I agree. And one thing, if the, like, if there's a lot of ambiguity, like, we have no idea what the companion character is eventually going to be like since she dies at the end of this episode. Horribly and yeah. tragically. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's already turned into a Dalek and then she dies. So that's probably so, like the mercy part of it. Yeah. But yeah, I, one thing I really liked is that the character was, was a genius. Like, the character was really smart. Yeah. And I like having a companion that isn't just, like, this dumb, like, oh, okay, this is the character that the Doctor just has to explain everything to, because that's how this character needs to work. Yeah. I like it when you have, like, a, a companion like Nyssa, or Romana, that knows what she's talking about, and is, like, is able to actually contribute something to the episode. Yep. Yeah. And I think that'll be a... Uh, I, I'm guessing they will keep that moving forward however they do it, because you can just tell that's so much of how they built the chemistry in this episode, mm-hmm. because... You know, I have no complaints about Amy or Rory and, and their rapport with Matt Smith. It's wonderful. But if you want to take the character in a new direction, you have to give him a very different person to play off of. And having someone who he can have this intellectual conversation with and be a little baffled by even in yeah. moments where, A, she doesn't put up his, with his bullshit, which sort of is an Amy thing to do. Yeah. But then also to be able to sort of understand what he's talking about and fire back with something that really contributes to what they're doing. Uh, I really like all that. And I think... Uh, again, Moffat clearly knows how he wants to write both of these characters apart and together, and he had a lot of fun doing it. And I think, uh, obviously, Moffat is very good at writing characters who are geniuses, as you said, and you could believably see Oswin as a genius for the things she does in the episode. It's mm-hmm. not just she says she is. There's actually a demonstration of that. So I really liked all that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, but like the thing is that we don't know what how that's going to play out with her yeah. so is it, becoming the companion. So should we talk about the big twist of the episode? Yes, I think. Didn't uh, we already uh, do that? Right. But, I mean, just, just again, uh, at the end of the episode, the Doctor finally finds where she is, and in one of the most heartbreaking scenes, to my mind, of, like, modern Who, this really hit me, and I, I can't even quite explain why it hit me so hard. It's I think it's a mixture of how well Matt Smith played the scene and just how well I think the episode was paced up to there is, uh, you know, she has been turned into a full Dalek, and she's completely fucked. And the, like, psychological trauma of realizing that Jenna Louise Colesman plays really well, and I fucking loved the way uh, Nick Huran, I think is the name of the director, shot that scene, where you're going in and out from this really sort of creepy white room where she's just the Dalek talking like a Dalek, voiced by... Nicholas Briggs is yeah. the name, mm-hmm. and then going back into General Louise Colesman in the, the room that she thinks she's in, and cutting back and forth between that, like, they were really, like, sticking the knife in and yeah. twisting it on the viewer, and it worked really well. And again, I think Matt Smith was just playing the hell out of that scene coming in and being so remorseful about it, and just not believing what the Daleks have done, because I think he, there's an implication that, you know, the Doctor at this point kind of takes the Daleks as tyranny for granted because he knows them so well but this is almost like a new level for him and obviously there's the whole story that you showed me but it's been a while yeah this is like the doctor might have forgotten every now and then yeah and so it's just it's a really good scene I thought it it hit me really hard because again they did build Oswin no matter what she's going to be like in further episodes in this one they did a great job building her as someone you really like yeah and you're like hey I'm excited to see maybe she'll be playing with the whole group for the next couple episodes that would be fun right but no, no, no. She's a Dalek, and it's like I, I can't imagine like the psychological trauma a person would undergo being like, I am stuck in this horrible shell, doomed to kill or be killed. Making fake mind souffles. Yes. Yeah. Where did she get the milk for those souffles? That's a good question. Yep. I mean, now you got to remember in future episodes, it's like Moffat doesn't just throw out details like that for fun. You haven't you haven't figured that out already. Like I, I figured I, I realized that she was going that there's going to be something wrong with Oswin before he got to her. Yeah. It felt like they kind of. I mean, I'm that's like 
I, like, I didn't know that she was going to be into a Dalek. Well, I thought I that she too. was probably going to be like a Dalek slave type thing. Okay. But, yeah. I didn't think that. I thought it was going to be something more. Because, because how the, where the fuck would she get milk to make a souffle? I get that. Or no, no, no. Eggs, like but I thought, I thought it was going to be more of like a lighthearted explanation or something just because of how... <laughs> those scenes were played for laughs, though, every time yeah, he was asking about the milk. That's, that's why you'd make it dark at the end okay. to, to contrast that. I mean, what would... It would have been awesome though if he if he had opened up the door and it's like you do you do the scene the exact same and then it's like the camera sort of turns around and you just have like Oswin there standing there with a cow. That would have been amazing. It's like that's where she got the milk. I think that's like someone needs to find a way to do that. Someone needs to cut that video together on YouTube because that that would be amazing. Oh, that would be great. So that's where you got the milk. Right, well, come on, let's go. I have to bring Bessie with me. <laughs> yeah, like, we can't teleport our cow. <laughs> I can't imagine Matt Smith playing that scene. Oh, that's why. Okay, this is another thing that this is like a really small detail that would bug only me. But in Doctor Who, historically, they've never like called it teleportation. It's oh. always they've always called them transmats, and I've liked that. It's just like a uniquely. I think that's Doctor a cool Who-ish term. Thing. Yeah, transmat. I like that. And oh, that's too they bad. They called it a teleport. Oh well. Yeah. Anyway, so, do you have anything to say about Oswin the Dalek? Yeah, I think, like, I thought, like you, like you said, I thought that they, she was really well written and she was really well acted performance. I thought it was a great part of the episode, probably my favorite part of the whole episode. I think it definitely gave the episode emotional weight. I mean, yeah. when we're talking about, uh, you know, tying subplots together with, sub, like, things that all thematically relate, I think that worked really well. And the Dalek, I think a lot of Dalek stories, to me fail because they don't necessarily have that emotional push to them. Yeah. I think the Daleks are inherently unfeeling creatures, and so you have to do something on the human side that makes it more interesting. Because they're not dynamic characters. They're yeah. not designed to be. That's the whole point behind them is that they're, you know, thoughtless killers. And so I just think that was a really good push to do it this way and have the whole sort of struggle of the end of the episode being, you know, the Doctor meets someone he really can't save, and he reverts into David Tennant mode with, you know, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. David Tennant, the most tortured of the doctors. Yes. The <laughs> most melodramatic. Yes. But, no, I mean, really well played. Uh, you said you had some logic issues with this, though, based on sort of the asylum of the... Did we already talk about that, though? Which which ones? I have lots of logic issues with this episode. Just that they would turn her into a... a well, dog, yeah, that's yeah. what we were just talking so about. Not, yeah, yeah, but it's like, yeah, there's no... I just, like, don't think... It's like, it just didn't make sense that why the crazy Daleks on the asylum would turn her... Into a Dalek. Yes. There's no, there's no real reason for that. I understand. Yeah. All right. So, what else should we talk about here? Uh, should we talk about Matt Smith for a little bit? I think this is a good place to talk about it because the Doctor, while he's prominent in the episode, this is not really his episode. To yeah. Me. And I think we're obviously going to get more of him later, but uh, you know, he has no real arc going on in this episode. He's he is where he was last time we saw him, pretty much. And he's in a pretty good spot. He's not as psychologically tormented as he can be. Yeah. He's. Not but, a lot of brooding. Right. But okay. uh, but still, I mean, Matt Smith, phenomenal. And again, this is an episode, like a lot of good recent Doctor Who episodes, it rides a lot of big tonal shifts, and you've got some big humor, you've got some tension, you've got some very sad moments, and some sort of just quiet, friendly moments where like he's trying to console Amy and say, you know, I really am here for you. And I think Stephen Moffat is often only able to get away with all that because Matt Smith can make it look so damn natural. And he is the one who I think very much guides the cast and everything in the episode through those tonal shifts. Yes. Especially especially in the Parliament of the Daleks scene where you start with him just making fun of them all and then you get to, you know, he's really, he's, he's interested in Oswin and then there's the dark things where he's accusing them of, you know, you all, you find beauty and hate, those yeah. sorts of things. He just, he plays that really well, even if some of it, it you know, doesn't always make logical sense or whatever. I think he, he can play everything perfectly at this point. So just love watching him work. Yeah, I mean, I'm exact same place as you. Yeah. It's Matt Smith. I don't know how much you can talk about Matt Smith because it's just it's, he's so awesome every single episode. Yeah. So, still rocking the bow tie. Yep. I, I do. I do like the few like subtle times where like they do this thing where they kind of call back to him fixing his bow tie whenever he's like solving like the few problems that like, yeah. they have that whole thing where he lists out all the problems and as he solves each one he fixes his bow tie. Like, and that was a really nice visual motif. They yeah. Did. Again, I think this whole episode was very well directed. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. It's it's one of the most more visually impressive episodes Doctor Who has had for a while. Yeah, 
and, and that's coming out of season six, which we agreed is incredibly cinematic. Yeah. And they've said their push this year is to make it even more cinematic, and Asylum of the Daleks proves that's what they're going for. So, sounding good. So, I want to talk a bit about, I guess, as we're talking about direction, some of the action scenes. There were some really good ones here. The Doctor blows up all the Daleks. What did you think of that one? Uh, I, I thought it was cool. The only problem I had with it is that that scene was really prominently featured in the, the trailer. Yeah. And the... The story I had come up with in my head for how that scene would come about with like all the Daleks destroyed and the Doctor walking out with Amy in his arms was a lot better in my head than it was in the episode because it's just like, I mean, you didn't even know, like, you didn't even see Amy pass out. She was just kind of like, all of a sudden, she was unconscious and in his arms. It was just kind of like, it felt like it was very much a trailer shot. Like, even yeah. if I hadn't seen the trailer, I'd been like, no, this is I, for the trailer. I agree. That was probably the biggest scene in the episode I took issue with because it just felt to me very self-aware like, the Doctor's going to do something awesome here, and he's going to come out and have the kiss-off line. Like, guess guess who, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think, it felt to me like the last scene of the episode. Like, that's mm-hmm. where he's defeated all the Daleks, and he's triumphant, and he's saved the girl, and he's coming back and you know, putting her in Rory's arms, and he's the triumphant hero. But it was just kind of a minor scene in the middle of the episode. So, like, I, I thought it was actually really good. You know, he finds the way to destroy it. And yeah, I thought that, that was, I thought that whole scene was really interesting, the whole setup to yeah. the... But it was, it was also kind of supposed to be funny, because the Daleks going back going, you know, forward, 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 and it blows up. I didn't and think it was funny. Like, I thought it was like, because, I don't know, it's, to me it's a really big deal whenever the Doctor decides he's going to actually kill something. Right. Because right there he decided to kill like a dozen or so Daleks. Right. But in any case, you go from that, which is decidedly lower key than reverential, the Doctor is Jesus bringing, yeah. you know, like, I mean, this wasn't as overt as some of the other stuff, but it was very much... Uh, celebratory in a way that I think would have worked better at the sort of end of the episode, but they had a different climax for the Yeah, end. just because the way the whole scene is shot and, like, the way the Doctor looks and, like, how he delivers that line, especially with the trailer, it's like you feel like that would be, like, near the end of an episode and it's like the Doctor has been pushed to some, like, great extent to have finally just, like, decided to kill a shitload of Daleks and just, like, blow them all up. And it's like, no, he just kind of is like, okay, I really need to kill this Dalek right now because if I don't, we're all going to die. Yeah. So it's like... Which I get, but yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, just like, I thought it would have been really cool if we had had that other kind of moment, like the trailer kind of insinuated was going to be in the episode. Right. Uh, but the other sort of big action scene I really did like, and I thought they earned the size of it, which is where, um, you know, Oswin decides she's going to sacrifice herself and allow the Doctor and Amy and Rory to get away, and she just, you know, yells in her Dalek voice, Ron! And he runs, and just the cinematography's great, where he's running through these explosions and gets back to Amy and Rory, and they escape in the nick of time. Just a wonderful sort of escape sequence. Mm-hmm. Although, like, one of my problems is that they had, and this is, like, in the last scene, too, and then even earlier, and this is most egregiously, they have the scene with Rory, where Rory encounters all the Daleks and they start shooting at him, and then it's, like, in all three instances, they use, like, really, what I felt was really unnecessary slow-mo, and especially oh, yeah. on the Rory one, it was, like, really slow, and he's just kind of, like, running, and then he does the slide, and I'm like, that didn't need to be in slow-mo. I mean, maybe the slide, but it's, like, you just, like, it felt like maybe they just, like, Decided it's like they were going to have a much cooler action scene or something, but it's like that did not need to be in slow mo. I agree with the Rory scene. I didn't think it needed to be in slow mo because Rory is not an action hero, and and he didn't do anything action hero. He just kind of ran away and then slid under a door. Yeah, but no, I did like the last one. So let's talk about the sort of final big revelation of the episode. Oswin, who Oswin in her infinite genius wipes the Dalek hive mind of the Doctor's identity. Talking about fucked up Dalek continuity. God damn it, like, how the fuck does that work now? Like, where does that where does that fit in now? Like, what Daleks don't know about the Doctor? And what ramifications does that now have? Well, I assume, I assume this episode is trying to just establish a new Dalek continuity, because they're all together in one place. He does it, she does it apparently to all of them. I think that the writing is pretty clear on how they're treating this. But it's like, but I mean, man, Scarrow's still there! So this isn't, like, current, like, most recent Dalek history. This is, this is like, way back, man. This is way well, back. Well, if you assume they're really giving a shit about all of that. Well, it's like, if I don't assume, then there's no, there's no point anymore, Jonathan. I have to hold on to something. Okay. I need to, some few strands of continuity. I, it's like, I need to have them. Alright. Well, first, before I, I'll let you go off on this if you want to talk about it, but first I just want to say, uh, I do actually really like the idea of sort of going forward without the Daleks knowing who the Doctor is, because... I think the, the sort of the dynamic between the Doctor and the Daleks has gotten a little tired at this point, where he always comes in, they're sort of scared of him, he lords it over them, they have some banter, and the Doctor blows them all up. 
And I would be more interested, honestly, at this point, in a thing where the Daleks aren't scared of him because they don't know who he is, and he can't lord that over them as a form of intimidation. I think that's a new dynamic that has dramatic potential, and it makes me, for the first time in a while, excited to see what they could do with Daleks from here on out, if they are going to follow up on this. If not, it's a moot point, but I think it's interesting. And... Um, the Daleks saying Doctor Who annoyed me a lot less than... Oh, my God. No? Okay, that, you hated it? I, that, that pissed me off so much. Okay. I hated that. Okay. I mean, I hated it when they did it the first time at the end of Season 6. I hated it a thousand more times there because it was... They did it way... They did it over and over. It's just like every time the Daleks were like, Doctor Who! It was like someone punching me in the nuts. <laughs> it was just like, God damn it! It's like, you can't do this! You can't... Make this stupid metatextual reference to the title of the show and, like, have it be this, like, dramatic moment. Like, you can't... And they did it earlier in the episode, too! Where they, earlier in the episode, they do the thing where it's like, the Doctor comes in, where Rory's like, how much trouble are we in? The Doctor comes in, he's like, from zero to ten... Eleven. I it's like, like that. Because he, oh, he's the eleventh incarnation of the Doctor. It's like, oh, 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 I get it. It's like, it's like, God, he's like, you can't keep on like, every time they make a, a stupid joke like that, it kind of brings me out and it just feels like they do it over and over again. It's like with the timey-wimey stuff too. It's like they just keep on getting wrapped in on their own little like referential jokes and it kills me every single time they do it because they do it way too much. Like the old show would do a Doctor Who joke like once every two seasons. It's like, it's not, it's not, a, you don't need to stress the fact that nobody knows the Doctor's name. It's like, it's not important. It pieces me off so much that they're making it like this dramatic emphasis now. This is going to be like, if this keeps on going through, like every single episode is going to end with all the villains going, Doctor Who! I kind of doubt that's where they're going with it, like the dinosaurs. And I don't the last two episodes have ended with everyone saying Doctor Who! Not the Christmas special. I didn't count that. That wasn't a good episode anyways. You didn't think the finale was a good episode anyways. Yeah, well, and I thought this one was a pretty good episode, and then everyone started saying Doctor Who. It's getting worse. It's ruining episodes now. It's making them... It's making already good episodes worse. All right, well, I think Sean is probably overemphasizing this. No, I mean... Come on, it's because it's so hokey. And, I mean, I get it. Doctor Who's a hokey show anyways, but because it's... I mean, maybe it's because you don't have as much background with the show as me, but it's like... Putting this is like a fucking sixty-year-old show. You don't. We get it that it's like the doctor's not. We don't know the doctor's name. That's why it's called Doctor Who because nobody knows who the doctor is. Everyone makes the mistake. It's like oh, they call him Doctor Who and that's not his name. It's like we don't need to make that like an emphasis on the show. We don't need to like have the Doctor Who thing come out. It just like it really hurts me. It's like the show's been going for so long. We don't need to do it now. It's too late to try to do this. It's too late to try uh, to like do this whole Doctor Who shit. I am willing to wait to see where they're going with it. And if there's a good payoff, I'm fine with it. There's, not there's, good, I, there's no way there's going to be a good payoff because the setup's bad. Alright. Well, you can't I mean, have I'm a good assume, payoff with a bad setup. I'm just assuming the payoff is that the last big thing they have to do with River Song is explain how she knows the Doctor's name and that's how they're going to resolve it. And I would be fine with that because it's character-based and goes back to something that's been happening in the show for four seasons now. It's like it's a 60-year-old show, man. It's like four seasons of nothing. Uh, okay, it's, nothing. I mean, it's a 60-year-old show to you. It's, I mean, it's kind of a seven-year-old show to the people who are writing it at this point. But, I mean, but, it, but I mean, they made the choice to tie it into old continuity. They I made know, the choice to make this the 11th incarnation of the Doctor. You need to respect this shit, man. Okay. But what is, I mean, okay. I, I Again, I'm willing to see where it goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, I will be just as mad as you because I think it is would be unnecessarily metatextual. That being said, why the Dalek one bothered me less than the bluehead guy one from the end of season six is that they did technically have a reason to call him Doctor Who because okay, they yes, were asking. They did, but it, I mean, it kind of felt forced to me. Like okay. it felt, it felt like they engineered all of that to get them to start saying Doctor Who. Okay. I mean, it, I mean, what if like the next episode? It's like, or it's like, I mean, the next episode is going to have dinosaurs in space, so they're probably not going to say Doctor Who, assuming the dinosaurs can't talk. But it's like, what if like now the Cybermen? It's like the Cybermen forget about the Doctor. It's like it just feels like they're trying to. Since this is like the what they ended the last thing with, like the question was like when the question asks on when the fall of the eleventh or whatever. It's like it feels like they're truly pushing this Doctor Who thing, and I don't know. It would be like if fucking you know like an episode of Star Trek ended with Captain Kirk saying. Let's trek among the stars. It's like, it, it's fucking terrible. Because it pulls you in, because it's your, what you're doing is you're pulling, you're breaking the fourth wall, basically. You're pulling me out of the show and going, look, see, this is the title of the show. We don't know who, what the doctor's name is. He's Doctor Who. 
it fucking pisses me off. It's a it's a shitty writing. It's a shitty thing to do. Okay. You shouldn't do it. So Sean now hates Stephen Moffat and everything. I don't he hate for. Stephen Moffat and everything he stands for. I hate this one decision Stephen Moffat made and everything that it stands for. Okay, okay. So, but overall, we are positive on Asylum of the Dolls. Yes, until the very, very end. And then, and then they, the, and then the doctor fucking says Doctor Who like three times when he's in the TARDIS. Because he's like, laughing at the Daleks. He thinks it's, it's funny. like, but it's like that actually did annoy me. It's just like why, like why every just God. And, it's like at least they, like when Amy and Rory got out of the TARDIS, like Amy didn't turn around and it was like, so Doctor Who. And then it's like, or like Amy and Rory say that to each other or something. At least that didn't happen. Yeah. At least Oswin didn't like say it right before she died or something. <laughs> at least like every single character on the show didn't say it. What Only if most of them? Okay, so Sean, what if Amy and Rory do like die in the final episode of this season, episode five, and, and, the dying and Amy, words are, Amy is dying yeah. in the doctor's arms, and she says, "I have one request," and he says, "I'll do anything for you, Amy. You're my best friend," and she says, "Doctor." Who and then dies? He goes no. What would you think of it? Would you like just kill yourself? Yeah, I, I would just be like. I mean, that would be a pretty big hit. That's okay. like that's, <laughs> that would be a big hit to me. Yeah, too, I would like. just be like, oh fuck's sake! Because it's like to me, it's like what the like the, the this is the thing that gets me with it too is that the answer to that question is not like who gives a shit what his actual name is. Like he's the doctor. Right. That's what he's like. That's his title. That's his name. That's what he goes by. That's what he's been going by for a thousand fucking years. Like what answer are you going to give to Doctor Who? There is no answer there in whatever like if it's like what Doctor Steve? Like No, I don't no, but I don't think that's the direction they're going. I know, I but it's think. like but there's no there's no answer to that question. Like there's yeah. no Whatever it's, it's, that's why there's not going to be any good payoff because it's not a good setup. There's nothing there. Okay. Well, we'll see. So that's Asylum of the Daleks. Is there anything else we want to talk about with that, Sean? Uh, we didn't really talk any about uh, the fact that the Oswin character dies and like what's going to be how that's going yes. to affect like the companion coming back. Right. So I'm assuming at this point that we will not see her again until the special. Right. Yes. Okay. I mean, who knows? Maybe she's a dinosaur also. Like, she's just getting <laughs> reincarnated. But for now, we're going to assume she dinosaur comes... Dinosaur who? Yes. She, she comes back in the Christmas special after Amy and Rory are gone. So, there's a couple different ways this could go. Uh, I'm, what, what sort of theories are you thinking that will happen with Oswin when we see her next? And, and it may not even be Oswin, but generally, yeah. Colesman obviously will still be there. Yeah, so for me, there's, there's, there's a few. There's either... You, you have the same character, Alwyn, from a previous point in her time span. It's just, you know, kind of river song thing to do. It's Doctor Who, you can do that. Uh, she possibly, like, gets saved and gets put into, like, some cloned body or something like that. That's also a possibility. Twin sister. That's what I'm begging for. Twin sister. Okay. Or, like, twin ancestor. I mean, they, they did it with, like, Gwen from Torchwood, because she was, like... I mean, that was, like, they didn't know about it, but... Yeah. That's how they did that. So. Well, and, and Amy Pond was the soothsayer in the uh, yeah, I mean, Pompeii episode. There's been, there's been a few instances where companions... I mean, for fuck's sake, Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor, was in an episode, was in the Invasion of Time, the fourth Doctor serial. Really? Like, yeah, he, he, that's the only Doctor who's appeared on the show as a character other than the Doctor. That is weird. Yeah. It's really weird when you go back and re-watch that after knowing Colin Baker is the sixth Doctor, because it just, like, fucks with your head. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing I will say is... There's been some rumors out there before, like, everyone's been referring to her character as Clara before now. I did some digging, actually, before we did this podcast, and I've researched this before. There has never been anything even remotely hinting at an official statement that her character's name is Clara. There have been official statements that she would be appearing in the Christmas special. Those were just lies. But the whole Clara thing... I actually do not know where that comes from. As far as I could trace it back, it appeared to be something somebody made up, and because of how internet reporting happens these days, <laughs> you can just make it up, and then people will report it hundreds of times, and it becomes news. Yeah. So I don't think her character's name will be Clara, especially because if it is someone related to her or whatever, and her character's name was Oswin, Clara would be a weird name to have for the second version of that character. I mean, Oswin sounds more of a spacey name to me. Because she's from space, Oswin Ex of space. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, but to me, like, Oswin's, or, like, what I loved is that her name, she said her full name, and it was, like, Oswin Oswald. Yeah. I love that. Like, that's good. That's, like, she's, like, a comic book character. Yep. The Oswin, Oswin's a weird, like, is that an actual name? Is there, are people we, named we, Oswin? We I've never look, heard that name before. And you can if type I were it, to, I'll look it up. If I were to guess, 
I would say that Oswin was a guy's name, right? Like, yeah. That does not sound like a girl's uh, name. The first result is Oswin on the Fire Emblem wiki. <laughs> okay, so, so it is an actual name in the Fire Emblem. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia has it. I guess there's a saint. Uh, he was a king and martyr murdered in 651 A.D., uh, and then now we're going to go to Think Baby Names, and Oswin is a boy's name of Old English origin. It means God's friend. Uh, that's what the Baby Names website says. It's apparently not popular at all because it does not show up on their graphs at all. Well, I mean, obviously it's not popular yeah. enough because we had no idea it was an actual name. No. So, you know, who knows? But again, I think he chose it because it's, you know, different than what you would expect. Maybe this is the beginnings of a grand Doctor Who Fire Emblem crossover. <laughs> That would be awesome. Fire Emblem games are great. I would totally play the shit out of that game. I mean, I don't know, because Fire Emblem is like Final Fantasy, where, like, every single game is, like, its own continuity, so I don't know how they would do... I mean, if, like, it's, like, bring all the Fire Emblem-like continuities together, connecting them through the Doctor. I'd yes. totally watch that, or play the game. Okay. Well, anyway, so, uh, I guess the first theory that jumped to my mind, Sean, was the first one you said Twin there. Twin Ancestor. That, not Twin Ancestor, but... It's Twin Ancestor. Okay. But that it would just be a River Song situation where the Doctor meets her at the end of her life and then sort of hangs out with her at some other point in her lifespan. And I wonder, maybe the Doctor, after whatever happens to Amy and Rory, he's going to feel guilty, he goes seeks her out. But that could also be that he finds she has a twin sister or something. And Twin ancestor. Yeah. It's so. like he's just like, he, he's hanging around London in the 2011 as he's wanted to do and just ends up stumbling across something that looks... I mean, actually, he never saw what she looks like, so I don't know how he would look know what she looks like. But he hears her voice, and it's like, you are exactly that person. Yeah. You must be some sort of bizarre twin ancestor of the past. In any case, I, I do hope, and I actually would predict this too, but I hope that she's mostly the same as the character we saw, because I did like that they were setting up a character who's completely different than any companion he's had so far on the modern run of the show. Because I think, you know, Doctor Who has so much potential, why would you limit it to contemporary British people? Have it, you know, go out into space, find people who are from other planets or civilizations. I think that would be a much more interesting yeah. dynamic. And then completely unhitch the show from Earth and not have them go back there for a couple yes, of seasons. Yes, that's what I also want. Like, yes. that was something that's like New Who has been really tied to Earth for a yeah. very long time, over and, the entire New Who. And why I would kind of predict that with uh, Oswin, honestly, is because Stephen Moffat has... She's from space. Well, no, it just feels like... natural habitat. Thank you, Sean. It feels like Stephen Moffat has wanted to get away from Earth, largely, because he's told almost no stories there in his run. Mm -hmm. Just whenever, really, Amy and Rory need to be there, he's done that. And those have generally been good, because he's kept it limited. Yeah. But there have not been a lot of Earth stories, and I think he obviously would be fine unhitching the show from Earth, because he's told lots of you know, outer space and, and other planet stories. So uh, I hope that's kind of who the character is, or whoever the character will be playing, you know, is. Yeah. The only thing that I don't particularly... I mean, I just thought of another instance is that possibly the Doctor might, like, fuck around with time and, like, save her before she gets turned into a Dalek. Right. I think that would be the one I would prefer, because I don't necessarily like... I don't want to have another River Song thing where it's like, I know the character's right. going... I already know the character's ultimate fate. I agree. I prefer not knowing what would happen to potential Oswin, Clara, whatever the fuck the character, the companion's actually going to end up being. Yeah. And I, I think that's definitely a possibility, because it would be interesting. If they are opening a season with a Dalek episode, that makes me somewhat assume if there's going to be any arc, they may it may involve Daleks a little bit. Yeah. And the only thing I could think of there is that they will have to revisit events of this episode, and if General Louise Colesman is the companion, I think you can logically speculate that's why. Yeah. So. So I, I, I think that's the, the best actual yeah. choice that are twin ancestor right and it would also be a dramatically viable option because it's a big event again when the doctor fucks around with time yeah so he tried I me mean, he does it a lot but he unintentionally often mm -hmm. so and then that case. one time like, all the fucking like chronovore monsters came out and like ate everything it's like that's the only time it's happened in that ninth doctor episode I always loved that it's like all the fucking with time that the Doctor has done, and it's like, this one time when Rose changes something, it's like, she destroys the entire fucking universe when she does it. And that's Rose, she, yeah. you know. <laughs> that's just that's that. karma. That was, Damn that was, it. This is hilarious, but that, like, what, Father's Day episode or whatever. Yeah, which is a great episode. Yeah, it's that. a really great episode, but it's just like, when taken in context with the rest of the series, it's like, it makes no sense. I find this a little implausible, that is, this is the first time I have heard of these, like, <laughs> like time loop eating monster thingies. They're, uh, they're a new product. Yeah, that pop up every time a paradox occurs. Oh, like, boy. where were they when there were, like, three different versions of the Loch Ness Monster? Or, hell, just the different times the Doctor has met himself. Yeah, because he, <laughs> he's so seriously. It's like, 
you know, it's like, where were they when, like, Starro was not, maybe not unblown up again, and there were, like, 500 Daleks out of nowhere? Like, what, 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 where are these guys? Why aren't they fixing anything? Who knows? Doctor Who continuity! Yeah, that's the subject of several books for Doctor Who continuity. Alright, well, we have literally just passed the one hour mark, so that is our conversation on Asylum with the Daleks. I think it's a good length. In the future, we'll probably talk a little less about episodes because I doubt they'll have as much, you know, content to dissect. Yeah, there's been this since the season opener. It's like right. there's a lot of stuff with the companion and stuff. Until Amy and Roy leave, I bet we'll have plenty to talk yeah. about there. Our final farewells. Anyway, so we're going to talk about a couple other things now. The first thing I want to say is there's a piece of news that I think is of interest because we talked about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago. As you know, Peter Jackson has announced the Hobbit duology has been expanded into a Hobbit trilogy. Trilogy. Yes. And uh, the sort of one bit of uh, details we didn't know about it from a production standpoint is what would the movies be called? When are they coming out? They've confirmed the titles and release dates. And I actually really like how they're doing the titles. I think they, they sound cool. So the first movie is still, it, it's all the same, obviously, because it's coming out in a couple months. At The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, December 16th, I think, of this year. So look forward to that. And then the second movie uh, has the same release date as it always did, which is December 13th, 2013, and it will be called The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. Yeah, I, I That's like that good. title. Yeah. Yep. Which, I, I mean, it's kind of spoilery, but... Yeah. No. It's like, oh, fuck. I didn't know they were going to actually beat Smog. Yeah. Although, no more than The Return of the King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I always thought The Two Towers was like, oh, fuck, there are two towers! I wish I had gone into this not knowing that. That ruins everything. Two fucking towers. So, anyway, Desolation of Smog, and then they've just taken the second movie title, put it on the third, The Hobbit there and back again, because what else are you going to call the last Hobbit movie? Yeah. And it will be coming out July 18th, 2012, or 2014. Now, that's the odd part. So they're doing December, December, July. No, I don't yeah. get that. <laughs> I don't mind it necessarily, but, like, the Lord of the Rings movies have always been about, you know, they come out in December, that's their time. And they're doing it for the first two so to sort of change it up then seems a little odd to me because they're going to have to take a completely different marketing tact with it and how they release DVDs and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of why I was thinking they were keeping the schedule the same is if they wanted to do the extended editions again, that was a whole thing where they did the regular theatrical edition DVDs during the summer after the movies had come out the preceding holiday, and then they did the extended editions right before the theatrical release of the next movie, and it was just a good marketing build-up every yeah. year. So they can't do that for that third one. It's a little odd. But we do know Warner Brothers loves that release date. I mean, I think they've had a lock on that release date every year since The Dark Knight did so well on that uh, weekend. I think the year after that, they put Harry Potter 6 there. The year after that, they had... Oh, I don't even... Uh, Inception there is what they had. They've had... Um, Dark Knight Rises, obviously, was there this year. They've got something big there. Next year, I think that's where they've got Man of Steel coming out. So they, they fucking love that release date, I guess. But it does yeah. well for them every year, so... I guess they're moving The Hobbit there. But that's fine. You know, less time to wait, I guess, for the last movie. But, yeah. yeah. So, good titles, you think? Yeah. No, I, I, so the only one that I, like, don't really care for is An Unexpected Journey. Seems but what else really, are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, it just, like, seems really sort of, like, cliche and, it does. like, uninspired. Yeah. But I'm, I, I, I still, I mean, I've, it's, like, the, the original title, and I love There and Back Again. Right. I, I love There and, ba and Back Again, and just from a general creativity standpoint, I like The Desolation of Smog the most, just because it's, like... That's a new thing that they found for a title, yeah. and that's just a really creative way to title the second movie, which is obviously going to be the hardest to arc. Yeah, I mean, that's the, <clears> and that's I like that it seems like the Desolation of Smog is kind of clarifying that it feels like seems like the second movie is mostly going to be dealing with the actual Smog stuff. Yeah. So I'm guessing the third movie is going to deal mostly with the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah, we'll see. So I'm excited for those. Sean, any other things you want to talk about? No, I mean I've just been thinking about Doctor Who a lot. Yeah, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, yep. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Because you, you have to say it like a thousand times now. Okay. Anyway, uh, I've been continuing my uh, exploits at the Ghibli Festival here in Denver, watching all the Studio Ghibli movies. And if you are a fan, you have to get there this week because they are showing one of the most significant of the films, Kaze no Tani no Naushka, or Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, as it's known in English. And, uh, I mean, obviously that's Hayao Miyazaki's first movie. It was not, Ghibli did not exist at the time, but it's considered the first in the Ghibli canon. And it's a great, great film. It's, again, Sean and I, when we talked about all the Ghibli movies, we agreed it's probably one of the most visually fascinating. Yeah. And on the big screen, they have a brand new 35mm print. This thing looks like it's never been unspooled before. It's only got traces of dirt when the beginnings and ends of reels come up, and that's it. 
It looks brand new. And that animation on the big screen, it's unbelievable. I mean, Sean, you talked about how much you love the ohm, because yeah. they look like they're drawn as the background. Mm -hmm. What I think I could make out on 35mm is they look like they are drawn as a separate layer from the background or the character animation. It looks like they're their own middle layer. And sometimes they're multiple, actually. Mm -hmm. But they're drawn with this incredible detail, and it's just it's, it's great visually. And it's also a great movie. And, um, you know, be warned if you've ever seen it, uh, I think it's one of the harder movies to watch because it is relentlessly depressing. Like, it is probably the darkest movie in that canon of Ghibli films because I think, in many ways, Hayao Miyazaki evolved his view on the world and found more sort of optimistic ways to deal with heavy issues. Like, if you compare this probably to its most spiritual successor, which is Princess Mononoke, that movie, I think, finds much more things that are uplifting in its dark content, mm -hmm. and it, it has more messages of hope in it, and they feel very organic. It's not like he's copping out and finding messages of hope, but I think he does find things to be hopeful about. Nausicaa is just dark and sad from beginning to end, and it has... There's victory at the end, but the arc of the movie is Nausicaa, this beautiful, pure character, discovering that the only way she can make these idiots she lives with listen, like the people in this world, is to die. Mm -hmm. And die horribly. And she gets resurrected, yes, but not because of what the stupid fucking humans have done. You know, because the, the Ohm are like, oh, you're a good person, we'll save you. Because we but, can do that. Yes. It's they, established they, they cry ago. Pokemon tears. <laughs> bring her back to life. Oh, Pokemon. We shouldn't be fighting. Ohm aren't meant to fight like this. <laughs> we should talk about Pokemon the first movie sometime. We, we, should, we should. We should do the whole podcast on, like, Pokemon movies. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't watched any past the second one. Oh really? Yeah, that'd be. Oh, that's, they're fun. We need to. I need to get some DVDs. That'd be a fun rabbit hole to go down because God knows how many of them are, there are now. <sighs> Too many to watch, but we could do the ones I remember from childhood, which I think there's five that I watched in theaters. But yeah. Anyway, so Nasca is a great movie. Uh, tomorrow or, or Labor Day, I guess I'm going to be going to see Pom Poco, which is Isao Takahata's film about tanuki raccoons, and it's you know Japanese folklore, and I guess it's fantastic. I, it's one of the few I've never seen, so I'm very excited to get to see it this way for the first time. But anyway, head on over to the Denver Film Center if you live in Denver. These are great movies. I want to you know ring the bell for them. With that in mind, Sean, anything else going on? Doctor Who.